0: Welcome back to roll for enterprise Lilac, having just been welcomed to the crew, has promptly quit on us this week because she's off having a holiday. But uh, never mind, you still have me and uh, Zach and Mike. We'll try to do our best without her. And we just want to start out this week, send some hug ops to all of the ops people in Texas right now who are struggling to keep infrastructure running or figure out the least worst outcome for the infrastructures they're responsible for. Uh, I used to be very slightly in charge of a data center, and that was stressful enough at the best of times. So, you know, we field you guys and gals, and we'd love to send you some coffee or something, but even that sounds pretty complicated. So just all the very best, and we hope you manage. I
1: like that, hug ops.
0: <laughs> yeah. But in the spirit of Ops, there was um, a report that came out that's ran through some trends and DevOps to keep an eye on and right right there at number one maturation of infrastructure automation tools which seems like a kind of a, a done deal maybe in 2021 who is still thinking about infrastructure automation as a leading category we all have infrastructure to to manage for sure but Mostly the development is happening at a different level. It's uh, as-a-service offerings, cloud offerings, things like that, or
2: am I wildly off-base? There's still a need for infrastructure automation, believe it or not. I'm I'm grappling with that right now. Um, I agree with you. When you think of it from a cloud perspective, the infrastructure is is invisible, and that's the objective of automation, is to make that infrastructure invisible. Although from um, an on-prem perspective, We're not there yet. I think we're close to being there, but we're not there yet. So I still think there's some work to be done on that side.
1: I think Dominic's right. I mean, how much time are you going to spend in in that like automating infrastructure when it's you know it's becoming invisible? It's being taken away. If you start to look at uh, what the three big cloud players are doing, right? And and let's face it, new tools are going there. And you know, I used to think that Zach, but then after. After thinking like, okay, there's still some on-prem on-site, but isn't that exactly why they are, uh, you know, moving the cloud edge on-site? I mean, you know, I I think I laughed at this for a long time because it's like, hey, it can't be cloud if it's still on-prem, but it just expands that functionality where it just removes everything in the middle, right? So it's like your developer is getting so much closer to or everything behind it from an infrastructure perspective becoming invisible.
2: Well, so my my point in that is some of the traditional vendors, and this is, again, from a networking perspective, they realize that. And so that's what they're competing with, right, to catch up with that. And I, I think they're there, some of those vendors, and that's what they're trying to provide. So you're right, the cloud guys have set the standard. And we knew that. They've set the standard for how you operate an environment. And I think now they've set the standard from a, a, a Automation perspective with the, of the infrastructure. I agree with you. Um, but all I'm saying is we can't just discount it yet. And there are a lot of entities out there that aren't going to run cloud on-prem. If you're utilities, if if you're certain aspects of healthcare, you know, I mean, you, you have compliance stuff you have to follow, right? So uh, different regulatory reasons that you can't do that, the energy vertical, financial vertical. So we well, need to provide them that, that same level of automation to make that infrastructure invisible. So my only point in saying that is, I don't want to just close our eyes and say everything in the world you know, is utopia. Everything's automated and everything's like the cloud. No, but we have a little bit of work to get done. So that's that's what I meant.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely on board with that. And this is kind of the coming to fruition of the no-ops trend from a few years ago. Where people talked about no-ops. And I actually wrote a blog post at the time getting very upset because many people interpreted that as, okay, so we don't need ops as
1: a function, IT ops. Explain it for the audience what what no ops is, and and for me, because I'm I'm not quite so clear on it.
0: Well, so the idea was that, uh, and I think it came out of Forrester originally, the idea was that everything is available for consumption. You don't have to raise a service request and get an IT person involved, fully automated infrastructure delivery at time of demand. And... You know, so far so good. And I fully agree with that. I've said many times if it's a routine request, there shouldn't be an IT person having to put hands on keyboards to deliver that. You don't want uh, that person in the loop. That person doesn't want to be in the loop of those routine requests. But then there was all these people at the time who were extrapolating that, oh, we don't need ops people, ops has uh, it's got to go away. And I was like, no, 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 you, you misunderstand. To get to that point of fully automated infrastructure, you need to have uh, some smart people using smart tools who can uh, enable that type of thing so that when the dev person triggers a build, a whole bunch of... Uh, of jobs kick off, that we'll go and provision the infrastructure and deploy all the needed components and dependencies, and yada, yada, yada. So that was kind of the the point that I was taking objection to. The most visible parts of ops should indeed go away, but there's a whole bunch of hidden ops tasks that should uh, continue and should have a lot of attention paid to them. So that was kind of the the tack I was taking with this maturation of infrastructure automation tools, it's something that's very, very important, but I don't think it should be visible in DevOps. That, from the point of view of the Dev person, they trigger the build. Then there is some stuff in the tool chain that makes sure that that build has somewhere to be deployed to, and that the success of the deployment gets checked. So it's a lot more complex than you know using Norton Ghost like we did two decades ago. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> that's quite a while back, right? There, that's a deep cut for the <laughs> the greybeards in the audience.
1: But I think part of it is is right. I mean, you know, it, it used to be that a developer would come to to your operations team and say, "Hey, I need a server,"
0: and now we would say no,
1: and we would say no yeah, because <laughs> because we're ops, yeah. And that that's changed now, right? Now they're looking at, okay, how do I how do I build this? Okay, I need this component, this component. It's no more like I need a server. So I think the ops role has changed in terms of what they are uh, providing in the background, and because of that. I think there is, like, the ops role has changed so much. And I and I think it's true that, that, like, ops is a little going away. And, you know, to me, DevOps, when people talk about DevOps, it's always about, like, operations getting embedded into development. And I think developers need to understand ops is, is what it really comes down to. And do you need ops? I, I don't know that you, that long-term, you'll have people in each organization doing ops more that, you know, it, it'll be, it'll be magically done behind the scenes because of automation. So I, I tend to agree with it, but yeah, maybe, was that article from 2011? Yeah, yeah, uh, ahead of its time. I mean, because I, I I would agree now that that's where we're going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely.
0: And it goes in the other direction. Traffic goes both ways uh, because ops people have adopted a lot of dev concepts of versioning infrastructure configurations and things like that, which is super important if you've ever tried to work with an older system, a revive uh, an older system that's maybe been dormant for a while or provision a system into a state where you can run an older software package that doesn't work with uh, the current version of whatever tool chain. That is not an easy thing to do and so we ops people learned from dev people and we check our infrastructure configs into source control and we comment when we change stuff, well, you know, in theory, <laughs> it's it's starting to be something you can do rather than something that weirdos might think about doing.
2: Yeah, no, around the automation, these, you know, we're now seeing the chief automation officer, that role starting to pop up. Um, if not, it usually will fall under the, you know, maybe a digital um, officer that reports to the executive team. But what I'm seeing and what I'm when I research, it appears as though a lot of these roles are not Reporting into IT, which I think is interesting, reporting outside of IT. But I just want to close the loop on the automation a little bit, um, then we can dive further into ops and just you know, it's there's still a lot of organizations that are searching for that that automation. And I think these roles that are popping up and, and people that are that are upskilling. I mean, we're seeing a you know an increase in uh, uh, network automation engineers, for example. I had a recent inquiry with a. Uh, a, a top tier analyst firm and one of the top three buckets in 2021 for budget is automation. So I just say that to say that it's interesting. That's one of the top three bu- buckets in IT, but it's also interesting that these automation roles report outside of IT. Mike, I don't know what you're seeing in your organization, but uh, that's that's what the analysts say.
1: I think they have to because I mean in IT we, I mean when we focus on automation, we're focusing on automation automating like our jobs to make it easier. I mean I know there's somebody who used to say like. Yeah, we would spend like you know eighty hours uh, to automate like something that we do for one minute uh, every year, you know. And I think that's the attitude that we've always had in in IT. Premature and optimization is the root <laughs> yeah. of all evil. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I, I, but I think what's happening now is as companies look at this and the, and they want to automate. I mean they're not looking at IT to automate they want to automate functions like you know maybe finance maybe marketing maybe some of the sales role and because of that the the person who's leading automation has to be coming from the business and understand how those business processes work so that they can you know look at automating automating those and then you pull in you know whoever from dev whoever from ops and yeah, IT just becomes um, a project member for a larger automation initiative, right? Because you, you typically need to look like, okay, what can we automate? What can't we? Oh, we could automate that, but is that smart? Um, you know, and and I think these are the discussions that companies are looking at um, going after uh, continuous efficiencies. So I, I think it's passed beyond IT. I think everybody's recognized what IT's done and now it's it's in the organization. But of course you need, you know, you need people who believe in it. You need people to support it, and that's why there's yeah business um, business people leading the charge there. That, that's at least my take on it.
0: Yeah, so that's kind of my wider point. So if we go back to this list of things, it goes down through application release optimization and application performance monitoring, and um, even has a point that's more complex tool chains, and that's it. That's not to my mind, to my way of seeing, that's not a hallmark of a mature market. It's a hallmark of a market that still has a lot of maturing to do because you still have to assemble your own car from a bunch of cogs and wire and bits that are sprayed out on the floor. And you have to choose exactly the right ones and they have to fit together right and you can very easily get yourself into trouble. And that's to go back to a long-running conversation topic for us. That's the, the issue that I also have with uh, low-code and no-code because until this sort of stuff is a lot more packaged, a lot easier to do and to do right and not to uh, blow off your own extremities with, it's going to be very, very hard for anyone who's not very, very technically deep to to adopt it. And so the low-code person, the sort of person who is at the level of building a complicated macro in Excel but not at the level of thinking about Versioning and backup and disaster recovery and automation tool chains is going to take one look at this landscape, throw their hands up in disgust or despair or terror,
1: <laughs> run away screaming. And you're right and you know what's going to happen later on is that these will become support nightwa- nightmares because those, mm-hmm. those local no-code apps are, are going to become par- key parts of, of business, They'll become business critical because it's yeah, business yeah. people using them but i think it needs to happen right you need to go down the road you need to do it i i, I don't think we should like i i wouldn't stop anybody from doing it right do you you got to learn and they got to learn right i think in, initially what's going to happen is they're going to be provided by and there's some or,
2: organizations IT companies that provide low code programming, you know, software packages to companies now. I wouldn't say proprietary, but it's going to be vendor specific and that but to your point Dominic for this to really take off, it's going to need to be a little bit more open, right? Where you could have your whatever it might be on the back end, whatever storage you might want to have, whatever, you know, repositories, etc. But I think right now it's being provided by these, you know, these startups and and other companies that are out there in the industry. Um, But what's happening is it's taking off. So I think we'll get there. You're right, Dominic. We'll get there where we'll have the back end as a service in order. You'll be able to have some flexibility. But nobody can question that. That's the direction we're going in, right? Nobody can question that. This is where we're headed. And it's interesting because it does tie back into operations. This is being done by the business. And so how are they going to support it? How is IT going to, you know, is DevOps really going to be able to stretch outside? Is the business really going to adopt this DevOps
0: Are you even going to have a map of all of these services so that when the power goes out, you know what's running where? Yeah.
1: The the thing is you, you go two ways, right? You go either open or you go standardized. So what do you do? And I think companies will choose both, right? So, Zach, you're arguing for open. But I would argue that yeah, probably companies want to standardize so they so they have those guardrails, and then that automation becomes all that much easier rather than trying to figure it out from tool to tool.
2: Hold on, yeah, I'm I'm not I'm just saying that we're <laughs> going to have that. I'm not. No, I don't think open is the way to go there. I'm, as a matter of fact, I'm not a huge fan of DIY. I'm not a huge fan of of open, you know, completely, I, I think, uh, interoperability, which is different, right? It's not open source. I'm not, uh, I'm not promoting that, but what I'm saying is we're going to see more of that.
1: I think it's hard though, to standardize and close everything off because then to some extent you're not enabling like, um, innovation you' you know you're kind of stifling innovation, stifling people to to think outside the box in your organization and and that's dangerous as well so there, there's a balance somewhere there, right you know don't don't ask me to, to name where that line is but but there is a line, and I think different companies, depending on their industry, that line is at different places, right? but yeah yeah this is true different people are going to have different levels of appetite for risk and
0: desire for agility and so on i tend to think in terms of open standards open apis open interfaces uh but with the possibility of innovating within the individual component and then maybe someone extends the interface, and then as an industry, we have to decide whether this is a bad thing, like Microsoft adding the Blink tag to HTML, uh, or whether <laughs> it might be a good thing that uh, we want to adopt and bake into the next release of the standard.
2: Yeah, I agree with you, Dominic. You know, and I, I kind of, you know, the way you kicked it off, I, I, I agree with you. I, I in a way, I, my heart goes out to network operators or just operations in general. I mean, they they spend their life making everyone else's job easier, everything running more efficiently, but I'm not sure anyone does it for them, right? I mean, from that perspective, and maybe that's why, you know, this this gets lost on some people, right? Perhaps that's why. Nobody really understands that. But yes, exactly, Dominic.
1: You know, I I just want to say one other thing here. Like, I struggle with DevOps because, and and some of these articles go all over the place, and I I want to call BS on so many things they say in there because it's like, oh, you know, to me, DevOps was like application uh, kind of taking over ops or, you know, the blending of those two. And everybody saying like, oh, companies are going to push forward in DevOps. Companies are going to push forward in DevOps. And like, I want to call BS on that. I think what companies want and what companies are pushing forward for is for is for them and their IT departments and, and development to move agile. And I think agile is what they're really looking for. And everybody thinks like DevOps is a way to get there. But I, I don't know that that's actually... The case, you know, so I, I think a lot of like this, this DevOps, um, these DevOps ideas are, are a bit like all over the place. I, I don't, I, I think they're just it, it's just to push Agile. I, I think Agile everywhere is 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 the way it's going to go. Before anybody thinks about DevOps, I think that's just our way in IT to to get to Agile. And I think there's a lot of bandwagon jumping going on because DevOps
0: has become a, a thing that you have to do; otherwise, you're uncool. I, and so lots of people, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a,
1: that's like everything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: And so lots of people are doing stuff that isn't really that. But something I always tell salespeople I teach uh, sales enablement a couple of times a month, and I'm actually going to do that again later today. And have a slide I reuse over and over, uh, which is nobody wants to buy a, a quarter inch drill, what they want is the quarter inch hole which is not an original thought to me. It was, um, I believe it was a Harvard professor way back when. But the point is they don't care about how you're delivering the thing, whether it's on-prem or in the cloud, or if it's Kubernetes or a virtual machine, or it's running on a set of valves. Uh, What they care about is can they execute the business process they need to execute? Can they do it at the speed that the business demands that they execute it, they get the metrics that they need to be able to analyze whether the business is working out or not. That's all that people care about. And we in IT get all wound around the axle of, is it dev? Is it ops? Is it IT ops? Is it no ops? Is it dev sec ops? <laughs> and what's the, the next thing? But uh, ultimately, if it doesn't deliver what the business needs, then there's going to be a problem. And the the pathological example of that I remember long ago enough that the time to provision a server was a significant bottleneck in a business process. And so we went around and we asked people, you know, how long does it take to provision a server? Because the product we were pushing, one of the things it could do was it could provision a server faster. And so we asked them, they said, oh, well, and from when we ask IT, it takes about six weeks before we get to server. And we're like, wow, six weeks. Uh, our business case is looking great already. But then we went around the corner and we asked the actual sysadmin, you know, how long does it take you to provision a server? I said, oh, you know, I have the Norton Ghost image right here in the CD, and I, I can I can provision a server, and it takes, you know, half an hour, tops. Uh, okay, so where's the rest of the six weeks going? Oh, well, but then it has to go to this team that installs that component, and goes to that team that installs that component, and the security team has to harden it and sign off, and the network team has to provision the, the IP address and the switch and the port and whatnot, and it's all of these passages back and forth from one to the other that were actually consuming the time. But ultimately, that doesn't matter. From the point of view of the business, they have a six-week block in their business process that is irreducible from their point of view. And so any business process they want to execute takes six weeks plus whatever the business part of it is. And that was a part that was not acceptable. And of course, nowadays, the time to provision IT resources is effectively zero from the point of view of planning a business process. So you can concentrate on something else. And that conversation has not gone away, though. It's just moved to a different level of the stack.
1: And IT is IT. So they see it all as one. Yeah. Six weeks for everybody. By the way, yeah. you just said a trigger word for me, which was DevSecOps, somewhere in between there. And yeah. It's like, <laughs> and you know, here's the thing, right? DevOps, it, like developers need to think about ops. Like that's what it comes down to. Dev and psychops. about security yeah yeah, yeah and Dev That's yeah, they, they need to think about security too and i think these are these are items that become everybody's job and and somehow it's not like oh we're going to redefine the job to put it in there it's like no you've you've done you've done a shitty job and now and, and by now not, not putting it in, it it in there it in the first yeah. place yeah, <laughs> yeah it, exactly it's a bit it's a bit ridiculous
2: there's so many acronyms. Is there a no-code ops? Because you said developers. What, 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 seriously, what happens yeah, if there's
1: no-code, flow code, code? Well,
2: let, let's, let's, do that? That. let's do that. You know, there's, I hesitate
0: there's... to Google these, these terms. There's probably a rule 34 for enterprise IT acronyms. If you can think of an acronym, it's out there. Someone's using it and just pinned a business case to it.
2: You know, but you, there's something to be said about what's going on here. There are way too many of these ops. People get on the calls, and I hear, you know, the biz ops, let's get with the rev ops, and let's talk about you know. Fin ops. Yeah, FinOps, it just uh, it's, I don't know, wears me out. Well, it's because ridiculous. then it starts
0: to bleed over from the business side because the business side already has their own version of ops, their sales ops and marketing ops and all sorts of ops like that that have nothing to do with uh, with IT ops. So it's um, at some point, we have to call halt and say, look, it's all facilities. We're all just pushing the broom along
2: the, the corridor. One thing is certain is there's a new world where operations is necessary. I think that's what everybody's going to agree on. We can have 50 different acronyms in front of it, but I think there's a world where we need operations. I know we were talking about the forest article, but uh, there's some ops needed in different aspects. And when that was written, there wasn't really a concept of some of the ops we just mentioned. There was no concept of no code, low code. So I think if you adjust that article for the times, perhaps they were partially correct. Um, in what they were saying
1: no i i think they were you know i i, I look at it from and I, i've always been an ops person right and i you know it, it's where i feel more most comfortable in and i think the like for in operations You're a gotten, server right now aren't you yeah, yeah we're hugging <laughs> a server right now no but i think for operations it's gotten a, a little easier i would say and then i think of developers and like as an operations person, I want to say like, oh, developers' life has gotten so easy. But I think decisions on the development side have gotten a lot more difficult. There's a lot more choice. It's, I, I mean, it's never been uh, so open. And I think everybody, yeah, it feels like everybody coming out of uh, of schools these days is is designed to be a developer. So, you know, I I, I don't think it's gotten easier on on that side of things.
0: Yeah, I think you're right there. It's definitely not got easier. And that's the flip side of all of this. You know, Back in the day, you could deploy a very small amount of code to your home computer, and you could have the same type of development environment that the biggest server farms had. And it was no different. You could learn on-prem. The same way that you could take a web page, and you could view source, and you could learn HTML by looking at that. These days, you, you cannot do that. The the bar, the level for entry is just so high. You have to, whether we're talking web programming or we're talking IT infrastructure management, you have to learn so many frameworks and acronyms and tottering towers of little bits and pieces before you can get to do anything, before you can get to the level of hello world, that it's uh, it's a wonder that we don't just put people off completely. So that's, I think, going to be the the other angle to this because we had a lot of people, me included, and I'm sure both of you, who came up from that world where the skills that you developed by building a home computer for gaming and managing IRQs and whatever were the same skills that you could then put uh, put to work in a professional capacity. And that's simply not the case anymore. It's going to be kind of a rarefied skill set to being a sysadmin unless you work in one of the mega data centers of which there will be a handful. Most companies won't need to employ a sysadmin because they don't have machines to to be managed. It's going to be a different world. The, the, the continuity
1: between the two risks are breaking down, I think. Yeah, this is certainly not a topic that's going to die down anytime soon, I, I think. Anyway, on
0: that happy note (laughs) let's uh look at recommendations i admit i've been remiss i've not done my homework i don't have a recommendation so let's hear what you two have to offer and maybe i'll think of something in response
1: well you know i've um started to automate uh pieces of my life and i i use zapier uh recently um gosh it's so easy so easy and i i guess this would fall into like no code but um just moving bits and pieces uh, of my life from, let's say, Gmail to other tools. Um, it's just made it so much easier and somehow it it um, it integrates better with some other products than the ones that I use. Uh, but yeah, just so powerful and now I'm just uh, hooked and trying to find different ways. I think it's, uh, it's making some people's lives easier. So I, I would totally recommend everybody go check it out. And hopefully I said that right. Zapier, Zapier, I don't know. I always thought it was
0: Zapier, but um, who knows? I'm in South Carolina, forgive me. Yeah, write in and tell us.
2: (laughs) That's it. That's it. I don't think this is as much a recommendation. I think it could be. But uh, and maybe I'm behind the times a little bit. But, uh, you know, I was doing some research, and this is all around insurance. But eliminate insurance. These people are just disrupting the way insurance companies do business. And uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. But, uh, you know, essentially you get money back if you don't, you know, how many people pay insurance year over year? And I'm sure in Italy, uh, Dominic, you you have insurance as well. Uh,
0: A certain amount. Have you seen Italian roads?
2: (laughs) but uh mike you might know some about this as well we i know we spoke about this but i just found it to be very interesting i mean they are absolutely disrupting that industry so i'm not sure it's a recommendation i I think it is everybody should check it out and and understand a little bit more about it but uh and by the way for the lemonade people out there uh just remember you know um i'm promoting your company so i'll be coming and uh expect something from that but um, i'm
1: joking (laughs) i I don't i don't
2: (laughs) but uh, yeah i don't know anything you want to add mike around that Mm -hmm. i mean it's interesting
1: I think you're seeing a bit of a revolution in insurance. And, you know, it's uh, it's it's interesting because when, you know, startups are always focused on so much disruption, and I think they've gone through most of the industries, and now the industries that are left to go after are really big and really daunting, it feels like. But, yeah, if if you have a job where you don't do much and you're getting paid a lot of money, I think they're coming for you. And, and I, I think we see that... Um, you're starting to see that everywhere, and they're they're starting to challenge. I think paradigms of how people work. I mean, yeah, look no further than Robin Hood and what's happening with hedge funds. I mean, that's been in the news here in the U.S. this week as well. So it, it's 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 quite interesting how, how things are being disassembled. But yeah, insurance has been a cash cow for a lot of people for a long time. So I think you know it starts with lemonade, but there's others there's others out there.
0: That's interesting. We don't really have that going on over here, but uh, we'll see what happens just to throw in a recommendation because i feel bad not having one there's been a lot of talk about the apple car a new round of rumors first it was going to be hyundai uh building the the apple car and then they came out and announced it publicly without apple say so and so apple was like nope no we're not working with you anymore we don't like you." <laughs> that's,
1: that's so apple like you that's need to know how apple, like,
0: apple. <laughs> i've been following apple for 30 years at this point i I could have told them, you know, don't do that. That's a bad move. Nissan came out and said they didn't want to because they wanted the strength of the Nissan brand. And they, with all due respect to Nissan, it said, you don't have a strong brand, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of good cars, but it's it's not a strong brand. And so who knows what's happening with that? But that's part of that. There was all this talk about CarPlay uh, on Twitter. And so I responded to a few threads. It turns out lots of people don't realize this, but. You know, the in-car electronics tend to be n- n- not great because they have to be designed like 10 years ago and they have to last for another 10 years into the future, the expected lifetime, uh, life cycle of the car. And so you're not dealing with the most cutting-edge components or user interface design or anything. And on the other hand, your phone, you change your phone every you know, three years or so in, in the West uh, seems to be about average. Uh, the operating system gets upgraded more frequently than that with new capabilities. So CarPlay lets you plug that into your dashboard, and instead of dealing with the crappy thing that Nissan or BMW or whoever put together, you're dealing with your phone and its apps and its capabilities, and that gets upgraded and bugs are fixed and it moves fast. So seriously, if you're not using this because you don't see why, you really really should and um, new cars all have this or you know if you're an android person you have android auto which is the same sort of idea in that space
1: you know the great uh ceo of uh, fiat chrysler auto uh, sergio marchione um he like when they redesigned the jeep cherokee he went crazy on infotainment uh, because i think it delayed his car i think 12 or 18 months i mean something just insane right and uh, and I know people with Cherokees, and I think the infotainment system is is garbage, you know. So I think there's a sta- <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a there's a standardization, which by the way, they're not FCA anymore, right? But um, oh yeah. The, uh, well yeah, the Stellantis, Stellantis. Yeah, yeah, it's some kind of awkward name, and um, but yeah so infotainment is is not standardized it It costs a lot and and not everybody's a software company like Tesla or an energy company we're we're still debating that here whatever they are yeah whatever they are they're just doing everything well, so uh except uh, winning, and nobody
0: uh, cares all we want as users <laughs> is a screen that will play our tunes and will let us see who's calling. We don't want car companies to put in all this effort and try to differentiate themselves and do it differently from the next car we drive. And so we get in a rental and we can't do anything. We want the opposite of that. So yeah, is- I don't know exactly the timing of when my Alpha was designed versus the, the Jeep Cherokee you were describing, but it's basically that. The in-car entertainment without a phone plugged in <laughs> is basic. It does exactly what it needs to do. It gets out of the way. It's super simple. You plug a phone in and it goes away. It's like, okay, I get it. You don't want me. I'm done. Uh, and the phone takes over. That's the brain of the operation this is brilliant That's how it I, should be you're brilliant except on tesla
2: <laughs> this is this is brilliant reverse psychology to get a free tesla from elon musk this is brilliant <laughs> yeah, dominic I, Brilliant.
1: i, I want to sell dominic so bad but yeah we'll, we'll continue trying what's amazing about apple they're actually looking for the foxconn for cars I mean, that's it's yeah, that's essentially what, they what they're doing. <laughs> yes, they're like, hey, we need a Foxconn. So, like, Foxconn doesn't get credit for Apple for for an Apple for an iPhone. So they don't want any automotive player getting credit for their car. They're just looking. See, like uh... they, they don't want to build it from ground up, right? So I'm not. I'm not sure. That's what everyone assumes because you you hear
0: Apple and automotive industry, and you think, okay, Apple car. And there's certainly been enough rumors around that. So I'm sure they've at least explored it, but. I think it's going to be much more like the Apple TV, where they have they have their own box, sure, but at this point, I bet they're more TV Plus users that are using the app
2: on a smart TV without an app, without the Apple TV hardware. So what's impressive to me is if we're talking about Apple and cars, is how far ahead of his time Elon Musk was. I mean, it used to be difficult to disrupt this industry. Go back to the eighties, uh, the, the was it the sixties or fifties? You know everybody that's tried. John Z. His, really, yeah, it's they've been crushed, <laughs> yeah. right? And by the way, they've not just it's not just the other car manufacturers, it's the gas and oil industry. I mean, they've been absolutely decimated. Um, even Lee Iacocca in the '80s, who tried to do something similar out in California, crushed. They just got you know they come in, they shut it down, and give you a lot of money, and you walk away. The fact that Apple is coming into this industry, that means we're not even scratching the surface on the future of this industry. So that to me is impressive.
1: At what point does Apple say, like, man, it's too hard to work with these guys? Let's just buy one, and we'll take the pieces we need, and we'll just write it off. I mean, they got enough cash to do that easy, right? They said so. about Tesla years ago.
0: I don't, I don't think so. Tesla, Tesla operates in a different way from Apple. They, they're quite happy to push out something that's, sorry, Mike, substandard, and then iterate <laughs> in public. Oh my I, goodness, that's, but that's not the Apple way. They, they wait until it's perfect, and until the day before the launch, they'll be like, nope, car, what car? No, no cause here.
2: Well, that, that's cost them in the past. Look what happened with, with Siri and the, and the at-home stuff. I mean, Alexa came in and demolished them because they were waiting for it to be perfect. So, right, so they they lost on that. Yeah, but it's,
0: it's coming we, back. It's coming oh, back. It's on. like Maps. Everyone it's assumes happening. no. Everyone assumes Apple Maps is terrible because they haven't tried it in ages. Apple Maps is now ahead of Google Maps. Uh, uh, If it's not ahead, it's neck and neck.
2: You you need M&A, though, to grow fast. I mean, they missed out on Netflix, I think, early on. They missed out on Tesla. Yeah, they bought Siri. Siri
1: was a purchase. Hold on. Going back back on Maps, I think Dominic's right, because I think Apple Maps, there's an inflection point here where everybody's talking about, like, as they integrate Google Maps into all these apps, how it's becoming expensive. I think Apple in the long term is going to win this game, and it's going to really suck. I I, I think Google is – Google, like – you want to talk about one company that that's a little lost? I think it's Google. Yeah. Well, I'm, listen, honest. I'm not going to.
2: I agree. I'm not going to bad for Google. I'm not a. I think they are lost, and they've got a lot of problems. They they probably need to break up more than any of the any of the other companies right now. I mean, they've got too much on their plate. You know, YouTube,
1: the healthcare, and they need to break up to unlock innovation. I mean, yeah, whoever, yeah, yeah. whoever, whoever thought we would say that about Google? You know, it's because everything's crazy.
0: hiding under the blanket of revenue provided <laughs> by search. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> the revenue, well. Is it search or is it ads? Or, yeah.
0: Well, yeah, the, the search ads business. I mean, I think even YouTube
1: disappears into the margins uh, compared to the search ads. By the way, I've been using YouTube like a lot more and, and starting to see how kids use YouTube. Like YouTube is one of the most underrated and most cable cutters that I, I know totally around right here have all gone to YouTube TV. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's a thing in, in Europe, uh, Dominic, but like. Not really, I've been
0: tempted to do the YouTube premium thing just to get rid of the ads, but it's expensive and it's buggy.
1: It's I think YouTube premium doesn't give you a lot, but YouTube TV, it's basically like broadcast TV. Yeah, so yeah, people yeah. who do like I HD antennas and all that, I mean, why do it? Just just go YouTube TV, right? I, so I have
2: YouTube TV court. and I, I have to agree with you. I think you're right. And by the way, this whole new generation, they're not, they don't know the movie stars we know. It, it's really crazy. As a matter of fact, they bring up, my, my kids are bring up some YouTube stars and I don't know who they are, but... uh You're right. And by the way, I think we have a second show after the recommendation. So I love this. Uh, I love this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there you go.
0: Okay, excellent. Well, maybe we'll cast out and send us out as a clubhouse style clip.
1: <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll convert. We'll convert co- uh, Dominic on Clubhouse soon. Clubhouse and Tesla. Right. That's right. right. Excellent. Oh, we, we need to get. We need to get a guest that that hosts like a, a clubhouse room on here to just argue with Dominic. Maybe. Maybe we'll look at that. We'll look at. Yes,
0: that. I'd love to. And if that's you, do write in. Uh, you can catch us on Twitter at Roll Four with a number four enterprise, or on our LinkedIn page please do send us any suggestions for other topics you'd like to discuss either in the main show or in this after show segment that we added today. Uh, Lilac will be back next week after enjoying her relaxing holiday. But until then, it's been great. Have a great weekend. And we'll talk to you again soon.
1: Thanks, everybody. Great conversation
2: there, guys. Yeah, I really enjoyed it today. Thank you, everyone.